Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Hello, a very warm welcome, a toasty welcome, sort of, you know, the warmth of a nice pair of slippers uh, to all of you. This is Cop On Podcast. We've been away for a while because I've been moving apartments and I've had lots and lots of things to do. Uh, but now that's done, and now I'm absolutely ready to kick back into the podcasting uh, extravaganza world of opinion and debate and things like that. It's the freaking winter break, which is what I'm calling it, because, uh, you know, the Qatar World Cup, it's, it's just tinged with such sadness, with, you know, the fact that people, you know, have actually you know, lost their lives building this stadium. It's disgusting. We'll talk about that maybe in a bit, but let's focus on some good news. Liverpool have beaten Southampton in the last game before the winter break. Um, For me, I thought Harvey Elliott was really good. Uh, You know, apart from the obvious ones, Darwin, I thought Bobby Firmino was was really good. Uh, Alison Becker, oh, no. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. I'm delighted to be with Alan and Abdul. Um, brilliant that you're with us so early in the morning. It's like 11 o'clock in the morning came in France, 10 o'clock in Britain, and here they are. Troopers all. Alan, um, what's, uh, you know, it was a funny game yesterday, wasn't it? There were, there, were, there were great periods where we looked like, you know, the recognisable Liverpool back to our best. And then there were... Other times where we're still this, you know, fragile, you know, house made of sort of soggy cardboard. I don't know. What do you, how, how do you feel about the game yesterday, Alan? Yeah, very well put. Um, it was one of those games you, you, had, um, you had signs of our old team back. You had signs of, of, you know, attacking confident play. But then we still had our fragile moments. And as you said, only for Alison Becker, like they could have scored four goals. He was sensational. What what a guy. And uh, as my daughter Sarah said, with his shaved beard and his sideburns, he reminds her of Buzz Lightyear. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I swear but he, he started the game. Sorry, just on that, because I only realised on 38 minutes that he had shaved his beard. He started the game clean shaven, and then by the end of the game, he had about three days stubble. Yes. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, I know. I noticed that, and 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 if you notice too, well, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, we seen him from a distance, and it must be the only time ever we were looking at a, a match and they didn't do close up with the goalie kicking the ball out because we were me and Sarah here going, "Is he shaved? What is that, Allison?" <laughs> so it was very good, but what a performance! Um, Particularly one shot there, I don't remember the minute, but where one of their players was a Chad and he's got through and he turned to shoot and Alison was just there. It just brought back memories of my own son, Adam, when he was about 10. He was a great goalkeeper, centre half uh, and midfielder, but we were playing this young team in Dublin, which would be, a, I would just say, a very highly rated team. Lots of ex-footballers there with their sons and they had this player that stood out. But uh, I remember one time he got the ball, passed through to him. He turned around all fancy, ready to shoot. And he went to shoot. Adam was at his feet. And uh, that's blowing my trumpet now. But that was when Alison did that yesterday. I just turned around and said, that's what Adam used to do. Like, you know, just out before the player would even think. Like, um, I don't, I've said it before. We've all said it. Alison is worth his weight in gold. What, what, a, what a player. And he was my man of the match yesterday. Um, I just love looking at a goalkeeper and work like that. Just... Just love it, you know. I know the strikers and everyone gets the credit most of the time, but he is worth where we wouldn't be where we are now without him. We'd be another 10 points behind, you know. So, absolutely, awesome. absolutely. I mean, as it is, I mean, he made a, a hat trick of, of, of saves yesterday. Um, it was they were all unbelievable hat trick of world class saves. Darwin got a brace, um, of course, and Bobby got the first goal. Um, after when you're when you're looking at the, the standings, the league table, I mean, we're sixth as as we're recording this because it's before Brighton play, um, and with 22 points, we're, we're going to be a maximum of seven points off Tottenham in fourth place, OK? Um, but we're also seven points away from Aston Villa in 15th. And this does highlight how amazing Alison Becker has been, because our, our record of 1-6, drawn four and lost four could easily be uh, a lot worse. 
had it not been for him. But, uh, you know, on, on yesterday, there, there, you know, looking at the positives from yesterday, there were signs that we were back, weren't we? Absolutely. Um, I think, what, that's our fourth win in a row. First time that's happened this season. It was, uh, yeah, I think overall we saw a lot in the first half. We saw a lot of good football, stuff that we haven't seen in a long time. Um, I thought Darwin Nunez, beyond the goals, I think his overall play has come on leaps and bounds in recent weeks. Um, he's dropping deep, picking up the ball. He's, uh, you know, making runs in behind from that left wing position. He's switching the ball. He's putting in dangerous crosses. He's really, uh, I feel, settled um, into the team now. He's not trying to prove himself so much. He's a bit more icy. Um, he's showing good touches. So really, really positive stuff from him. Um, I think Harvey Elliott, like you highlighted at the beginning, he's he's really, really good player. Um, I'm 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 actually really, really in love with him. Uh, and I'm very unbiased about well, very biased about it on my watch LSE account. Uh so um yeah i think it was it was there was a lot of flashes of good stuff but yeah in the second half it was just all about alison becker um and i guess that is a slight disappointment but hey we've got another preseason to work on all of these things so i think overall just glad to get the three points glad to get the big performances um from certain players and uh we definitely have stuff to build on for sure yeah, let's look at the positives. It is nice to be back, as you say, four wins in a row, if you include the, pe the penalty win and, um, you know, the um, it's, we, we had back-to-back -back Premier League wins, OK, because another one of those victories was in the Champions League. Back-to-back yeah. -back Premier League wins for only the third time this season, uh, which is uh, something to build on, as you say. It is, it is that, it, you know, compare our record to Chelsea's who've, uh drawn two and lost three of their last five going into this winter they're going to be depressed it's going to be a blue christmas for the chelsea blues and uh you know um what was the tweet someone said uh um chelsea are, are have developed a new form of pressing under under graham potter depressing uh excuse me that was, that was not my line that was from uh, that was someone shared that on uh, on our cop on chat today um, if you want to get involved with cop on podcast it's try and email us at cop on podcast at gmail.com uh you're more than welcome um and make sure that you follow watch underscore lfc on twitter excellent fabulous account if you're on twitter do that so we're going to go through the match now and we're going to use what happened in the match to talk about you know the greater the greater uh picture you know to zoom out a bit and talk about what you know if this is indicative of, of a general malaise, or we could talk about the individual events or the players involved. You could do whatever you want. But I'm just going to go through my notes of the match uh, and recall some of the action for you. So after two minutes, Southampton had a, a dangerous cross, a very dangerous cross, uh, that, that came after a throw-in. Um, and I'm sure that not many people would remember that. But if you go back and you look at the tape, this is something that's that, that's been a problem uh all season is that other teams have a throw in in our defensive half they take the throw in and they can put in a dangerous cross <laughs> like you know it's like it's schoolboy kind of stuff is you've got to learn how to defend these throw-ins better is that something that you've remarked on uh, alan that, that, that is that something that you've noticed that uh, you know we're just too easy you know it's too easy to get get crosses in against us yeah it does seem to be a, a problem especially this season there, surprisingly. Um, it's, yeah, it's like you said, it's, it's a repeat. You know, you, you see it coming, yeah. I don't know why they haven't sorted it or what's the problem, but I think, you know, I often wonder too, like, um, like you know, we have the first team to have a throw-in coach and stuff like that, like, and um, obviously he does defensive work, so I wonder what's going on and why it hasn't worked, but it's just one of those things, I suppose. But uh, you do get that jittery feeling, don't you, now, that you didn't get, like, you know, a season or two ago. Um, exactly exactly it is the jitters yeah totally um absolutely but then but then the next action the next major action of the game five minutes after five minutes um si senor bobby header we won the free kick it was uh, played in and it was a clever header by bobby a little bit lucky maybe to sneak into the corner but bobby firmino abdul he he didn't score for 18 matches according to the commentator 
that I was watching uh, the the game on. Um, he 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 didn't score for eighteen home matches at Anfield, and it was the kind of thing that I remember Martin Tyler droning on about. You know when you know rubbing that stat in. But since he broke his duck, um, he has eight in nine matches at Anfield now. Um, Klopp said after the game that there are talks ongoing about a new deal. Um, I would definitely give him a deal. I've been saying that for a year now. Get Definitely give him a new deal because I think he's still got a lot to offer, even if maybe he, he doesn't finish matches like yesterday. He didn't finish the match. But I, I freaking love Bobby. And that moment, I don't know what you were doing. I was doing a sort of Jurgen Klopp, trembling arms. And then I realised what I was doing. But um, I was, I don't know, it was a really good feeling to go 1-0 up for once. Yeah, the early goal for once. Um, a set-piece goal as well, I think it's always loved. It always feels a bit like, yeah, you can have your build-up goal and it works out and it's beautiful, but sometimes getting a set-piece goal is just such a nice thing to do. Um, and um, I think the whole thing with Bobby Firmino, I think a lot, of, a lot of fans over the last 18 months just been saying, oh, he's finished, needs to be sold, we need to get some, we need to recoup some value from him, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, I've always maintained that I think he's just such an important player to the squad um, in terms of just like, I think he sets the kind of attitude and the tone of the kind of football we want to play. Um, recently, I think during the Oktoberfest, Thiago was uh, back in Bayern. Uh, sorry, he's back in Munich with his wife for the Oktoberfest. And um, I think a red passed him in the street and the red said was just uh, throwing lots of compliments to him saying, Thiago, you've got such an amazing touch. You're one of the best players and like just so skillful. And apparently Thiago turned back to him and said, what about Bobby? Um, so I think even the players in the squad recognize that he's just a quality, quality footballer. And um, I think that's important for a squad. I think for the young players um, who are coming through, we've got a lot of good young striker talent, whether it's Oakley Cannoneer or Leighton Stewart. Um, I think those boys will really, really um, benefit from being in training with Bobby, seeing how he takes these little touches around the corner, the way that he presses, the way that he plays between the lines. So I think he's a really impl important player in the squad anyways. But recently, the form that he's been in is absolutely, I think, unreal. And it's not even that he's scoring beautiful goals, which you'd expect him to score. He's, he's scoring the scrappy goals. He's getting his head on set pieces. He's getting his head on headers. The goal against Arsenal, for example, you know, left-footed, um, struck that with proper venom, you know, right into the corner, just quality, quality finishes. So um, really, really happy for him. Hope it continues. Hope he gets a new deal. And uh, I, I think it's an absolute travesty that he's not going to the World Cup, to be honest. Richarlison has scored zero goals this season. Yeah, um, the cock. Yeah. What are they doing? No Tite, I, I don't know. I think Tite. I don't know if it's Tite or Titi, because <laughs> he's being a tit, isn't he? Like, I don't know, like... Fabinho has been in very poor form, but he's going. Mm. And Bobby, who's been in good form, excellent form, greater form than Gabriel Jesus, you would suggest, is not going. It's madness. It's so weird. But yeah. the fact that, you know, for example, Tite picks Fabinho now, but he wouldn't pick him three years ago when he was really in his prime, unbelievable player, top-notch, the best in the world, we were all saying, but uh, not for Tite, because I don't know what he's been. He's been on the cachaça. Um, Alan, you wanted to have a, have a few words on, on Bobby Firmino? Yeah, uh, actually, I put my hand up there first because um, the, the thing I noted yesterday about our first goal was the fact that it was a few minutes into the game uh, that set piece came from a foul on Mo Salah and for once the ref gave it and gave a yellow card early on, which means my daughter Sarah here and we're saying, wow, first of all, Mo's got a foul. Yeah, you know, yeah. and then second of all, I just we just said to each other, something could come from this because wow, when does Mo get a foul like that? Like, so but yeah, Bobby's finish was just fantastic, but it just goes to show. I think I've, I'm people are sick of hearing me saying we don't get enough free kicks and stuff. Like, if Mo Salah got all the free kicks that he deserves, we'd be getting a lot more set piece goals. I mean, we, we're going to talk about the penalty incident in a minute because the referee made up for his error to give Mo Salah a free kick by uh, denying him what I think was a clear penalty uh, later. But uh, we, we we'll discuss that in a bit. But no, it's a really good point. And uh, conversely, though, on, on eight minutes, um, that was the free kick that... that uh, 
Southampton equalised from Ward Prowse, one of the best free free kick takers I've ever seen uh, in any league. Unbelievable free kick taker or set piece taker. Um, but it was no foul. I don't know if you've if you've looked it back. Like they didn't actually, um, they didn't actually uh, uh, show a replay of the actual incident or the foul. But if you look at look look back because i was actually switching between two dodgy streams and one was a few minutes before the other so i get like i i realized southampton had scored and i went to my stable stream and i could see a couple of minutes later that it was no foul by bobby um very very soft decision and that that's a, a thing with these refs is like if a team is one nil down the refs will kind of help them to get back into the match sometimes it's awful absolutely awful but anyway um it was poor defending i'm not sure who was supposed to be covering whether it was uh i mean virgil looked a bit guilty some people were saying it was joe gomez and, and bobby Firmino who thought that maybe that was uh you know they were trying to play offside or something but it was it was very poor defending because you you allow Che Adams a free header right in front of goal and it's 1-1 and at that point um i mean i wasn't panicking but it was just like uh you know like i've resigned myself to us being just awful in defense how, how did you feel abdul was it about that goal i thought exactly the same as you i think i remember Firmino had him originally, kind of gave him a bit of a shove. And then um, Virgil was behind him and then also gave him a tiny bit of a shove. So Che Adams just had a ton of momentum. But then, yeah, the delivery was just absolutely unreal. Um, so if Che Adams committed and he got his head on it, I think it was pretty much a guaranteed goal. And that's what it was. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, poor defending. Uh, you, I kind of feel like mostly to blame was probably Virgil. I think it has been highlighted that sometimes he's a bit, you know, relaxed in his defending approach. I feel like in that situation, again, would have been nice to see him a bit more assertive, a bit more aggressive. But yeah, uh, I think overall, just got to give it a bit more to James Ward-Prowse for the delivery. It's just an unreal delivery. And yeah, it's, uh, it's sad that Southampton's form over the last year and a bit has been absolutely amazing because yeah he would have been a weapon for England to have at the World Cup coming up but um we got James Madison so it's all good it's all good um what else can I say yeah it's just a bit yeah like it's sad that we can see these goals because we went through a period uh where we literally were just imperious in every aspect of our game I can't remember how many points it was but it was like 101 points out of a possible 105 or something like that and we were just yeah, it just looks impenetrable. Um, but now teams suddenly have a bit more confidence against us. They're trying things. And yeah, I don't know what the fix is, but I'm really hoping that we find it in uh, Dubai. Yes, maybe. Yeah, we'll get some. We'll, we'll get onto the investment ideas uh, after we go through this match because there's, there's loads to talk about, really is. Um, uh, but just uh, continuing continuing through the match, there, were, there was a mysterious foul given against Darwin Nunez uh, on 14 minutes where um, he didn't even touch the defender, Bella Kutchup, and, and he fell over and the ref was like, oh, that's a foul. Uh, not the only one I saw uh, from yesterday's football of, uh, you know, just weird decisions. Uh, but there you go. Uh, then, um, it, you know, the game at that point became very end-to-end. -end. It was end-to-end -end stuff. Uh, but then, uh, you know, Southampton attacked. We counter-attacked. There was a beautiful ball. We attacked down the left. It was a lovely team move. But it was not for the first time. There were several lovely team moves. It got to Nunes out on the left, whose who's, um, cross low cross was absolutely beautifully weighted right into Mo's stride and the keeper Bizunu, Gavin Bizunu, hadn't seen much of him before yesterday but I was really impressed if if you know if Southampton get to keep him then he's something that you know they can really build on him but he was brilliant yesterday I yeah, Gavin is a great player. Um, he's 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 the reason why um Queen Kelleher has been kept out of the Ireland team. Um, fantastic goalkeeper. Like the praise I gave Ali for yesterday. Um, he was up there with him. You know, again out out to the ball early, out of the box at players' feet. Good good stop stops. Like he he's a fantastic keeper, and I I think he might do a season or two in Southampton, and someone bigger will buy him. It's, he really has a great future. Um, like that was a great move you're talking about there. Like them moves. 
at one at one one there and them sort of moves and him saving saving balls like that you're kind of thinking oh no it's going to be one of those days but yes i didn't have that feeling i don't know what yesterday we just just our performance yesterday i just had the feeling we were going to win it um, but definitely if he wasn't in goals it would have been you know five or six goals in super performance and for yeah. for people like for people that know Kelleher like and wonder why he's not getting into the irish squad that's why that, I mean, see, I didn't even know that. I don't follow international football very closely. But yeah, absolutely. OK. I mean, that's good to know. So he's keeping the quid out of the team. Um, yeah, he must be. Uh, he must be great. Because um, uh, there was a, another moment um, after that. Uh, Darwin played in Mo again. And it was a good tackle by Bella Kachap. And then um, Harvey Elliott had a header that almost made it through to Bobby Firmino. And Bizuno out like a flat out like the flash so quick and he got he got the ball just before Bobby could get there but then just a minute after that because Liverpool really you know after our reaction to their goal was very good I thought because we were we you know it was end to end for a couple of minutes and then we put our foot on the throat and in the 20th minute we had this a little bit of ping pong Elliot had one uh you know effort to try and trying to curl one in uh and he miskicked it but it came back out to him and then he, he he did this wonderful clipped ball it was absolutely beautiful the timing of the run from darwin starwin was magnificent the ball was absolutely beautiful and darwin's controlled finish first time with the instep was masterful Abdul, there's so much to talk about. I know you're excited today to talk about Harvey Elliott. So why don't you start with him and then you know talk about that goal? Uh, but Harvey in general, I mean, he's he's getting better, isn't he? Better and better. I think uh, Klopp said a few weeks ago that Harvey had been playing a lot more than uh, so Harvey's form had suffered because he was playing him a lot and uh, he wasn't as fresh as possible. So he took him out of the uh, starting lineup for the game against Napoli, I remember. Um, and I was there at Anfield at that game. Um, but then he came on, I think, around the last 30 minutes. And I I thought he was the best player on the pitch when he came on. I don't think he put a, f- a foot wrong. He was just all over the place, um, just constantly involved and didn't misplace any passes. Took a really smart touch, I remember, like deep uh, from a corner, which Napoli played in. Um, he was at the edge of the box. He could have just cleared it immediately, but instead took a touch, saw Mo making a run and set up a counter-attack, uh, which was a brilliant counter-attack. We didn't score from it. But then I remember another bit of play down by the right-hand side where he connected so well with Calvin Ramsey, Salah, and it ended up in Fabio Carvalho blazing over the bar. But Harvey just showed like what a footballer he can be in that moment, where he can be an interconnector, like your Bernardo Silva, with his right foot, playing balls, cute balls around the corners, progressing the play. And that's what I've kind of wanted to see more from Harvey. Um, I think a lot of fans just feel like he's a bit like, what, what, why are you in the team? But that's the reason why he's in the team. He's a really good, natural footballer who gives us something different that we don't really have in Henderson. And while Cater's out injured, uh, you know, in any of our, our other midfield options. And um, the ball over the top to Darwin yesterday was... A prime example of that. He's got vision. Um, he can clip that ball over the top. He's got the execution to do it. He just doesn't do it as often yet. And but that's fine. He's only 19 years old. He will learn that. He's playing in one of the best teams in the world right now. So yeah, he will undoubtedly get better. But yeah, I think just such an exciting talent. And um, we, the fan base and the team as well. They've they've got into this habit of calling him a diamond, always putting the diamond emoji next to him. And I think it's just such a perfect metaphor for him because he is a diamond right now. He's a rough diamond. But I think what we're going to witness and what we have seen in in periods this season is he's becoming more and more polished. And um, when he becomes the fully polished diamond, I think it's just going to be an unbelievable player for for Liverpool and probably for the national team as well. but yeah, Darwin, what a, what a finish as well. I think that's a really difficult finish. He's kind of stretching with his left foot, weaker foot. Um, but yeah, the movement to create the, the chance as well, again, it's, it's not something that gets talked about that much. But yeah, it's, it's fantastic movement. He drops off a bit, watches the line, and then speeds up when he sees Harvey playing the ball. 
and yeah, he's really coming in, coming into his his own in this Liverpool team. I don't know what the stats are, but I think on my account I tweeted something like, he has ten goals and ten starts, and a goal and assist every eighty two minutes, which is you know that's great. I think he's one in two, you know, uh, which is what you want from a striker. So he's gone from having a tough start to the season or being a flop by considered by rivals to you know, being bang. If 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 Erling Haaland wasn't such a freak of nature, I think he'd be banging, banging. Uh, you know, golden boot talk. So yeah, well done, Darwin. I don't know about the golden boot shouts, but I think he, he's gonna get. I think he's gonna get there. It depends who you ask for in terms of stats for playing time. It depends who's who's counting. I think, but uh, uh, FB Ref say that he's played six hundred and four minutes in the Premier League, seven starts five goals and two assists from those seven starts as you say a goal or an assist every 82 minutes in all competitions um he's got three goals and an assist from uh 280 minutes in the champions league which is uh basically three matches so he's 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 absolutely on fire he's he's like you know the uruguayan people call him you know the star win it was gary richards who i first uh, you know read came up with that brilliant nickname starwin and on the uruguayan flag they've got the sun in the top corner and it's so it's so recognizable because you've just got these blue and white horizontal stripes and then this sun in the corner that's darwin on the pitch he's the star he's just this sunshine he's absolutely he, he stands out from everything and he's just his own he's his own beast beast i mean jumping forward to the 41st minute i mean we've got other things to talk about but the second goal it was a beautiful move it was a beautiful move it was tiago to bobby bobby then released robbo charging down the left whose cross was ideal and darwin i mean it's the running and the power and the the hunger and the absolute you know passion to make it there and 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 by the time he gets there he's sliding and it's a tapping for him but to get to that position uh it just just you know so much credit to him again he was unbelievable um alan i want you to give me your thoughts uh further thoughts on darwin i know we talk about him every time but there's a lot to talk about with the guy and also uh harvey elliott's progression because i'm really interested because today when i was in my bathroom brushing my teeth i i, I was thinking iniesta for harvey elliott you know but anyway what do you think alan yeah, well, I agree with both of you there. Um, like on, on that goal there as well, that Darwin, like that's what we needed. Um, we've we've often got them balls into the box and not had a centre centre proper centre forward in there attacking them balls. The, the other good thing I liked about it as well was if Darwin had missed it, Salah was right behind him. So we had two players going in for that box, which is brilliant because you know you need to. You, you, it's, it's harder to mark two lads than one, obviously. Um, as for Harvey, like, there's not much I can add to what Abdul said. Like, he is he is a, a rough diamond that's that's smoothing off nicely. Um, that that, that like you should, sorry to go back, but that cross for for Darwin's goal that was I would have said Stephen Gerrard esque. He looked up, he seen the ball, he just it wasn't even a you know a swing in the boot. It was just perfectly timed foot, perfect pass, just brilliant finish. But I just love Harvey Elliott. Harvey Elliott is. A Liverpool player. He wants to play for Liverpool. We we want players like that, and you will get twenty percent more out of a player that wants to play for the club than one of these badge kiss, kissers that will be kissing a different badge next week. Harvey is a diamond. He's going to be super. I really really look forward to seeing him progress. Uh, I'm a lot older than you guys, and I've seen uh, I've seen Gerrard's first game, second game. I've seen players, a lot of players over the years, develop through the squad, and I'm really excited about Harvey. Really excited. And I know it's very early days too, but Ben Dock comes into that as well. He's going to be super. Sorry to go off point, but... No, this is not off point. This is really good. Ben Doak. I mean, yeah. I'm the same as you. I, I I don't remember seeing a 16-year-old. I mean, we, we can't get too ahead of ourselves because I, I do think Ben Woodburn was a really good 16-year-old who never, unfortunately, progressed. But Ben Doak seems to have more. He seems to have this strength about yeah, him you know mentally and, and physically at 16 which is way beyond his years you know yeah uh, and yeah he, he's he's so exciting i mean I, I wanted to see him yesterday you know i really did yeah. just just chuck yeah. him on again because 
you know, I, I watch I watch as much reserve football as I possibly can. You know, if I've got a free moment, I'll, I'll always watch the matches live. And then, you know, I'll, I'll look back at the under-23s, under-18s, under-21s, all of them. I always, I just, anything Liverpool, I'll watch it, you know. If it was like, I don't know, an a, a, a egg and spoon race uh, for, uh, you know, Liverpool legends over the age of 60, then I would definitely watch it. I would be there, front row seat, I'd pay, pay, pay per view. I would pay for it, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I've been watching academy football for, for years, really. And I don't remember since Raheem Sterling and Jordan Ibe, I was really, because he was amazing as a kid. They don't always develop. But, you know, if you compare someone, you know, modern players to old players, like Frauendorf, who started the other day. I mean, I really like him. He seems like a great kid, but I don't think he's going to make it. He reminds me of sort of like a like a Jerome Sinclair type profile that they're, they're just they're good but they're just not quite good enough but Ben Doak oh, Abdullah you was excited as Alan and I about this this young Scott because he looks like I mean he's he's worth I don't know he's going to be worth a hundred million in a few years I don't know maybe I'm getting too excited the flying Scotsman uh Yes, it's, it's, it's the Dutchman uh, in, in the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. But yeah, he's he's flying. He came into. The, I think it was just um, I was tweeting my account when we were playing the UEFA uh, Youth League games, and we played against Rangers. And everyone before the match was saying, "Oh, he's the next Celtic boy. Is he gonna score?" Yeah, he scores. Oh, and then the, the away legs like, "Oh, is he gonna score again?" Yeah, he scored again. Oh, he, he's making his under twenty ones debut. Yeah, he scored. Oh, he's doing this. He scored. It's just like. Just that, 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 like, um, I think he really reminds me of Mo Salah as well, in a way. Um, I think he's got this kind of directness to him and got this real kind of, um, just willing, like, really wants to, like, show his talents, um, which is why he's running at all of these people and giving them heart attacks whenever he gets the ball. Um, and he's got a real focus to him as well. So, yeah, don't want to put too much pressure on him, but yeah, it's, it's a, flying start I don't think he could have had an, a better start to his Liverpool career than he has had and he's only just turned 17 two days ago so um what a what a week he's having uh best of luck to him I hope it continues and uh definitely one that we I hope we'll see um next preseason um getting some fresh blooded minutes okay Gordon comes back wherever he is Siberia somewhere icing an injury um really really hope he's okay um because yeah he's another one that i was really excited by last season so maybe we'll see doke and gordon on the wings in the future i mean yeah i mean we've, we've got we're very blessed for attacking talent we've got we've got so many gems coming through and and on the pitch already you know i mean to be missing uh you know luis diaz and diogo jota and still be able to put out a front three of Mo Salah, Bobby Firmino, and Darwin Nunez. That's ridiculous. Uh, you know, the problem is our problems are elsewhere. Uh, but we're going to talk about, you know, plans for the future, plans for January, FSG possibly, um, you know, selling the club. But, you know, I, I want to, I'll skip through the, the rest of the match. The second half, I mean, I think Jurgen Klopp, summed it up really well basically in in, in his post-match um analysis i i copied and pasted i think i think he needs some english lessons jürgen which is a strange thing to say because his english is wonderful his 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 knowledge his understanding of proverbs and sayings and expressions and idiomatic language is absolutely fantastic but he makes a lot of mistakes. I'd like to sort of iron out a few mistakes. If you're listening, Jürgen, cop on podcast at gmail.com. Uh, but anyway, um, he said the first half was really good and the second half is not a half where we win the football. Okay, English, Jürgen. Uh, sorry, it's not the half where we win the football Oscar for us. Even then, it's not very good. Uh, we, we made a lot of mistakes in the second half. The first half was really good. Um, basically, I'll, I'll paraphrase him. He said, we did everything that Southampton didn't want us to do in the first half. So we used the speed of Mo and Darwin. We used the spaces that we had created with the speed in between the lines. And we used our football skills. Um, and the first goal being a set piece and then a, a sensational pass from Harvey and the movement from Darwin was really important, as we just talked about. Um, but then this is interesting. He said in the system, 
I have to rephrase Jurgen's English. He said, "In the system we play, in the system we play, Darwin has to defend the left wing. We cannot change that. But when he's offensive, then it's only for balls in behind that he should be in the wing position. But in all other situations, he has to be in the centre. So basically, in, in for the third goal, he was he was in the he was in the centre as well. It was great play, and we didn't do that in the second half. And that's the thing." Basically, having Darwin there, he, he can play off the left wing when he's defending. But then, when we get the ball, he can be, he can run, and he can make a lot of space behind Southampton when we've got the ball, and he get we can open up, um, you know, we can open up a lot of space with you by using his speed and Mo Salah's speed. And there weren't enough runs like that in the second half. I mean, the second half, I'm just gonna. I'm just going to skip over because I want to talk about, um, you know, more, you know, more interesting things, you know, global things about what's happening to the future of the club. It's much more important. But um, Alan, with 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 the second half, I mean, those three saves, but we were very, very stretched at times, you know, and this is again, it's a problem of not having hugely uh, dynamic midfielders who are able to close the space as well as a question of shape where where when we got the ball and we, we stretch it long the defense isn't pushing up quick enough i don't know what do you think Alan? i mean that second half what went wrong for you yeah i, I totally agree with you like we've been, we've been saying it for a while it's, it's our midfield this season is just not being able to put the press um, it's just we need fresh blood and we've spoke with that several times like we know that but um, the other thing yesterday as well was um, when the press wasn't coming from the midfield and you know we're starting to, to let Southampton into the game if you look at our bench we had nothing on the bench really you know our bench was very poor yesterday and uh, Henderson wasn't there either for personal reasons I believe family reasons um, but when I looked at the bench yesterday I just thought we need to go a couple of goals up here because second half we don't have we don't have a bench to bring on um, but like we brought on Millie obviously for what was his 600th game it was, it was fantastic to see Millie what a legend he did his usual best and stuff but there actually wasn't another midfielder there to bring on um, so I think that was part of our problem in the second half where Tardinus did come into it and stuff uh, like Thiago when we bought Thiago two years ago did, did any of us think he was going to be doing all that running tackling that he does now, you know, we thought he was going to be sitting there passing the ball around. So, um, so yeah, it was just lack of lack of stuff on the bench yesterday was was probably the problem in the second half. Um, like you said, going forward, Darwin is just he's just one of those players that has that aura about him. Like you know, when you were playing yourself or whatever, doesn't matter how professional you are, how good you are, certain players that just stand beside you to make you anxious and stuff. He is one of them players, you know. So. I know, thanks for explaining Jorgen's English there, but I get what he's saying, that he's so good down that left wing, but when he's in front of the box, like we've seen for that second goal of his, he just has makes space, he's an aura about him, and uh, he's going to be just popping into goals, hopefully, when we get our midfield sorted out too. So I'm waffling on a bit now, but we've spoke so many times about our midfield at the moment, like it's, it's not much more we can say, really. No, I mean, it's great. It's a great answer. It's a really good answer. Um Absolutely. And and, and Jürgen also said, um, you know, in the second half, we became too passive in defending. You could see that the last line didn't push up when we played out. We lost the ball up front and there was too much green space until they faced our last line. Very good English, Jürgen. Much better. Um, But this is not so good. So they had then their moments and ended up three times getting a 100% chance in our six-yard box. Something went really wrong. We know that. Okay. So, I mean, it's good that he knows. that we. But, but being passive in defending, again, it's a personnel thing. As Alan's saying, it's a tiredness thing. Um, so, you know, like going forward, like, you know, knowing how to fix it is to have more running up front beyond their line so we can... You know, we can we can push up and, and, you know, like we can, sorry, we can stretch them that way. We can stretch them a lot that way if we use the, the space in behind when they're attacking. And then when we do stretch them vertically, the back line needs to push up as well. And then we pin them in as much as we can. That's the best Liverpool that we've seen. 
um, over the years, over these years, but we just haven't been able to do that because we don't have dynamism in midfield. So Klopp said already as well that we are basically, if, if something can be done in January, we're going to do it. Like, it's not like previous years where he said, well, we'll see, basically. This one is like, yeah, we'll see, but if we get the opportunity, we're, so that, you know, we're more actively, openly, actively looking for midfielders. Is there anyone in, in mind that you would like us to get, Abdul? I mean, you know, there are a few rumours, Declan Rice, these kind of players. Uh, what do you reckon, Abdul? Uh, Jude Bellingham. <laughs> Like uh, that's 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 the only one, right? I mean, not the only one, but yeah, it's the same thing as last summer. I I really struggle to see which midfielder there is in Europe right now who we can buy who isn't also gonna basically take away the spot from the midfielder that we really do want, which is Jude Bellingham. So if there's an opportunity to just accelerate that deal in January, maybe it's, it's absolutely impossible, but Let's say, for example, we do complete a complete takeover within by the end of the World Cup. So January 1st, we are, we've got fresh money in the building. They want to make a statement. I would love it if they went to Dortmund and said, we want Jude, 150 million, slap it on the table. Maybe even, you know, 100 million plus Naby Keita six months early. Whatever it takes, just get Jude in the door. That would be, I think, a big problem solver. Looking forward to next summer, uh, because I... I don't think it's going to be realistic to get in a midfielder in the January window who is going to solve our problem of dynamism. I think next summer, if we get new ownership in and we have the big boy bucks to play around with, I think we are, I I feel like 85% certain we're going to sign two midfielders. One of them will be Jude. The other one will be a defensive type midfielder who can basically give Fabinho a proper competition finally things i don't know who that midfielder is but i also didn't really know who aurelian shuameni was until we were linked with him so i'm sure the club like jürgen said in a press conference recently there isn't a player who scores a goal that we don't know about there isn't a goalie who makes an incredible save that we don't know about i'm sure the club have got targets lined up i feel like for me as a top line overview i would just love us to just bo- sign both declan rice and jude bellingham just basically solve both problems in our midfield um and yeah just make a really big audacious loud statement that we have big boy bucks to play with now but um i doubt the club will do that so i am really interested to see who this superstar defensive midfielder is who we're going to sign because i'm sure the club have got their eyes out for one i'm sure they're lining one up and uh whoever it is most probably in the liverpool tradition of second choice always ending up being a very pleasant surprise that we had with mo salah and Diogo Jota and Sadio Mane. Um, I'm pretty sure that whoever it is, it's, it's, he's going to probably be better than Shuameni. So that's my big, big shout right now. So uh, yeah, let's see. Jude Bellingham plus one more who will hopefully be a defensive midfielder who will be better, but most probably next summer. But maybe, maybe this January if they're available. Yeah, but on but 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 if it's Jude Bellingham and and Declan Rice, let's say for example, we get this huge investment from somewhere. Um, they are two great players, but that would cost you with the English tax two hundred million minimum, right? Yeah. So minimum, yeah. So you're you're paying two hundred million for two players. I think that's folly. <laughs> I would I would rather get five forty million players because you're likely that three of them are going to be good. And then you've got three good players and two will be not bad because they're worth 40 million. But, you know, you're, you're likely to have three really good players rather than two. So you're, you've made, yes, you don't have the super superstar. And I know what you're saying. As a statement, that would be amazing. But let's say, for example, if we do get a huge amount of investment, I'm not sure that, I'm still not sure that it's the right mm. it's the right strategy because I've got the um, from uh, last week uh, on football365.com um, a five-year net spend table um, that they published when when the news came out that FSG have put Liverpool up for sale, which I still don't believe that they've actually said. But um, Manchester United have topped that list on 545.8 million net spend that they've spent, which is disgusting. And 
they've gone from sixth to fifth in that time. Like, they're, they're, I mean, we, we've enjoyed laughing at them many times, but that is actually quite sick. That they, you know, the big money doesn't necessarily, you know, make you competitive year mm. on year, you know? Like, if, if we have big money, we need to be sure that we invest it wisely. And I think, Abdul, that the wisest thing you can do if you have 200 million to spend is to buy five 40 million players. What would you say? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I think, uh, yeah, for sure. Like the money and Liverpool have proved that, for example, the money isn't actually the key uh, when it comes to transfers. It's making sure you actually buy the right player. And sometimes the right player is a 75 million pound Virgil van Dijk signing. Sometimes the right player is a 60 million pound Alison Becker signing. Um, so when I'm thinking about this, I'm just thinking, firstly, I think the question with the midfield is, just to put it in some context, Liverpool have a bigger squad than Manchester City and Chelsea and Arsenal and, and United in terms of personnel numbers, all right? In terms of midfield numbers, I think City have like maybe six or seven actual midfielders. Liverpool have, I think, at the moment, nine, maybe more. Um, so it's, it's not a question about the bodies in midfield. It's more about the quality, right? So I think if we wanted to bring in, you know, your four or five 40 million pound signings, there would have to be a massive clear out in midfield. And I think we are going to have a bit of a clear out next summer. I think Oxlade isn't going to get a new deal, uh, which is kind of sad. I'm going to miss him. Um, I think Milner, possibly he might say it's time to call his Liverpool career quits. I think at the top level, he's still got a lot to offer to another team. He's still top physical, so I, I expect him probably maybe to make the dream move back to Leeds um, if they stay in the league, or maybe if they go to the championship, he'll be nice for them there. And then I think I think we would need to get rid of three or maybe four bodies in midfield, basically. Um, Henderson, I think, and if you're counting Harvey Elliott as a midfielder, I'm not really. Mm, it's a I weird one. Know. Yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% counting Harvey Elliott as a midfielder, but what I would say is the Henderson thing is interesting because I've been thinking in the last few days this season has really felt like a bit of a victory lap for Henderson you know he's got a new book out he got the Nike ad whatever at the beginning of the season um there's just been a lot of outside football love shown for him so I don't know I wouldn't I I sneakily feel like maybe we would sell him as kind of again a, a bit of a statement just to say like you know we have new requirements now. We're trying to, you know, really step up our game in midfield. I, I doubt it. If we, I doubt we'd lose Henderson and Milner in the same summer. So, but basically, if we do clear out a lot of bodies in midfield, then yeah, we do have an opportunity to get in these four or five top signings. Maybe not even just in midfield. Play maybe around the park. But I do feel like we're kind of saturated in other positions in the team. Um, I feel like we've got enough fullbacks now. I feel like we've got enough attackers. Um, I feel like we've got great goalkeepers. Um, it just seems like midfield is that area where we're just not 100% set on what our strongest team is. And we do need a bit of proper quality in there. So I would take, personally, the Real Madrid model of you find a talent who you're absolutely sure just cannot fail. Somebody like Rodrigo, who they signed before he even actually played a senior game for I think around 60 or 70 million. And that was like, you know, we are sure that you are going to be a top, top quality player. So we're going to put that money down right now. There's that kid in, in Palmeiras called Endrick right now, who's getting the same kind of buzz. I'm not sure if he's played a first team game for Palmeiras, but there's a queue of top teams who are saying, we're willing to put down 60 million on you right now because we know that you're going to be a top quality player. So I want Liverpool to go out there, identify talent somewhere in the world, don't care if they're even playing the third league in Serbia, and they just say, we know that you're going to be sick. Here's the money. And he doesn't need to be a £100 million player. Uh, he can be a £10 million player. But I just hope that we, now with our hopefully big boy boots on, we just start acting like big boys in the market. And um, yeah, that's, that's what I want to see mainly. Hugely interesting. Loads of questions, loads of things to talk about. Um, Alan... You had your, 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 you know, if Liverpool do get sold, then you had your, your psychic, you know, I don't know what you, what you were reading, what tea leaves were at the bottom of your cup. But you said in the last episode a couple of weeks ago that you think FSG might sell Liverpool. Um, I still don't think they will, but go on. That was a, a cup on exclusive. That was 
It was a Coppola exclusive, yeah, the ITK, Alan, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, no, it, um, uh, I still don't think they will, because I, I, like I said last time, I, th I think it's a cash cow. I think, I think they're being genuine when they're saying that they would ideally like to find investors to keep us, um, because, you know, you, but at the same time, they, they've been very, very smart owners, FSG. Um, we'll talk about, we'll talk about it in a minute, but actually, well, no, no, let's talk about it now. Because um, it's not, like I, like I was saying before, it's not a guaranteed success. As you said yourself, it's not a guaranteed success to have to have all the money. Manchester United net spend 545.8 million, 545.8 million pounds. That's more than the cost of a fully functioning hospital to build one from scratch in manchester and there is a crisis in britain of uh, you know terrible health services i know because i had to try and use it the other week but anyway um so they finished sixth third second sixth and now they're fifth uh, having spent 204 million in the summer um arsenal 440 million net spent and they finished fifth eighth eighth fifth and then this season it's all come together for them chelsea have spent 384 million net spend and they finished third fourth fourth third and now they're doing very poorly eighth or whatever they are so i don't know alan um it's not it's not it's, we have to be smart this is the thing if we get sold to different a different company um you know uh, entirely different owners then we need them to be smart we don't want to be everton um so i don't know what are your thoughts on the, on the new kind of owner is there anyone out there who you know a, a type of investor that you would like to see us get or well um yeah there's, there's moral values come into this no matter what way you look you look at it, isn't there like um um, on FSG, I, I, I disagree with you. I think they're going to sell, honestly. Um, I have no insight, no information or anything, but sometimes us older guys, young guys, have to listen to us because we've been there, we've seen it. I've just been getting the feeling for the last two seasons that FSG have just, I don't know if, if losing interest is the right word, but they've probably reached their ceiling. They've been super owners. They've um, brought us from the brink of disaster up to where we are and i love what they did for us but i do think it's just at the point now where they're if they are looking for more investment and investment like we've had redbird capital come in we're supposed to get a load of money we didn't see it we had the night deal go to court and everything we we're going to get big signings we we're going to sign mbappe and all this sort of stuff we didn't see it i just think fsg have reached their limit and they've realized uh, the club's worth probably 450 million dollars is it they're quoting or 500 million dollars billion dollars I think they're, as we said, they're smart owners, smart investors. They realize now World Cup coming up, everyone's going to be looking at the World Cup. This is the time to sell. It's like when your house here in Ireland at the moment, we're waiting for a crash in the economy. And now is the best time to sell. So I think they've reached the, how to say it, they've reached their limit and the thought, well, we either have to invest now big money, which is giving less back to our shareholders, or we sell when, when the market's high. Um, like I said in the last time when I mentioned that, that I thought we were going to sell, the likes of Michael Edwards leaving. Um, to me, like Michael Edwards being the best fellow for buying players. But if you're in that job, you want to be buying players. You don't want to be sitting there penny pinching, not having money to invest. You know, like I said, our club doctor, we've no head club doctor for a few months. All these things over the last year are adding up to me and that's just 53 year old man swallowing liverpool for 45 years that has seen it all before not just with our club but with other clubs so that that was my that was my reason for thinking we were selling there was you know, no inside information or anything like that obviously <laughs> but no it's interesting I, yeah so you know, we had all these points up over this over the last year you think you know John Henry's at, at a stage now where they have other investments to love the Red Sox where he's thinking, well, we can sell here now, we can make a huge profit and we've left the club, club in a good place. And that's my feeling that the, the Super League or whatever was their final thing, right? That was going to be their major, major money. And I would have said, well, okay, do we stick around for another five, ten years until this happens or do we sell now at a massive profit? So that's where I think it is. And just to go back to Avril's point there about, or sorry, Abdul's point about um, buying players, I agree. We need we need the money to go out and buy them two marquee players in midfield, you know, like we did with Van Dyke and with Ali. 
But as much as I loved FSG and what they did for us, we, we only got that money because of the Coutinho sale. You know, so for the club going forward, this is the stage. We're at that stage now with great young talent like we were speaking about earlier on. But our midfield is basically devastated and we need two big signings in midfield at least. So I would go out and I would pay the money for Declan Rice. 23 years of age, go out and pay the money because he's just come straight into the team. And um, obviously I'd want, but I don't know if he, if he wants us as much as people say. But this is just the stage now. We're at a critical stage now where we need, like we did with Alisson and Van Dijk, just buy them two players or else we're going to slowly, slowly slip away, slip away. Interesting. I, 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 I've never thought it necessary. I've never thought it necessary. I mean, of course, you have to be smarter than everyone. You have to get your data and uh, analysis exactly right. But I've never, you know, like... Leicester, you know, and and us, you know, being the only teams who have broken uh, Man Manchester City's dominance in the last seven years with Chelsea as well, but Chelsea doesn't count because they were bankrolled by a billionaire. Um, you just need, like, you need to be, um, you need to be, you need to be smart. That's all. I think that that and but you're absolutely right, Alan. Like, it, it could be the the ideal time for FSG to cash in because. Just simply looking at the table, Abdul, I mean, Arsenal in a great position now. They're in a fabulous position. They've got loads of really brilliant young talent. And they're all, like I said in the last episode, they get, they're getting, they're going to grow older together, you know, in their prime from 20, you know, for the next three, four years, they're going to be challengers because they the, the core of their squad is young or young enough. Um, and they're you know they're just going to get better and better and better over the last few over the next few years so that's and, and that's the model that we need to find in my opinion is to get younger players sort of you know around darwin's age 22 23 uh, like Alan was saying with declan rice is 23 um you know and 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 let them grow together this core because that was the that was the crux of our, our brilliant performance over the last few years, is having this amazing team with the team bonding and, and growing them together. And I would be cutthroat and I would, for example, sell Fabinho. I would sell Henderson. Uh, I still want to replace Jeannie Vinaldon because we never, um, you know, and apart from him, who have we got in midfield? Obviously, I'm going to replace Chamberlain and Cater. So that's five players. That's why I was saying we can buy five midfielders and you know have a, a good rotation because I don't count Harvey Elliott as a as a, as a midfielder because he's not as good with the ball. You can play him in midfield or Tiago in midfield, one of the two of them, if you have dynamic players next to them who can cover for when they they have to close the space because they just can't do it. Um, Tiago's getting better at it, weirdly, but. Uh, anyway, just looking at the table, Abdul, because we've got, it's hard. Arsenal, Manchester City, Newcastle. Newcastle is a big one. This is another reason why FSG might be the smart, you know, very smart to sell up now. And Arsenal, Manchester City, Newcastle, Tottenham. Tottenham, where everything's coming together now. They're in their new stadium and they've got lots more money. Man United have always got tons of money to throw around. God knows how. I mean, do they really sell that many uh, you know, shirts from that dodgy, you know, like creep Ronaldo, but I don't know, I guess they did. Um, uh, uh, and then and then it's us, Liverpool, and then Brighton are in seventh and Chelsea are in eighth. So, I mean, these are, you know, Brighton aside, these are, you know, six competitors who are fighting for four places because fifth place is the, the difference in money between Champions League and non-Champions League is absolutely massive. And the difference in the players you can attract is absolutely massive. Um, I just don't know, like, who's going to come in for you? Who do you want to see? I mean, you know, Dubai investment capital, things like that. I don't know. That I don't know who they are. Are they just capitalists like FSG? You know, is there, you know, is there anything dodgy about them? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but you know, it's not. I don't know. Who would you want to see come in, Abdul? So I think uh, just to touch on a couple of Alan's points. Uh, number one, I think FSG have played this. I played an absolute blinder here. Basically, when the whole Super League thing fell through, the Super League was obviously, I think the clear next step for the FSG kind of ambition for Liverpool. 
you were going to basically be one of the founding members of essentially football's version of the NFL. We have a franchise. We're going to be able to massively expand our revenues. We're going to be able to, you know, have really exciting matches. We're going to be able to take control of the football calendar, which is something that, you know, Klopp has talked about a lot. Play less games, but higher quality games. We see more Real Madrid versus Liverpool. It just kind of... So, yeah, look, obviously, football fans rallied against it. Didn't seem like a good idea. The whole rollout was a PR disaster. Didn't tell anybody before. Just kind of just landed there and just said, like, yeah, this is what it is. But I think if football fans really take a step back and really try and understand where these owners were coming from, okay, yeah, they, they do just want to make more money. They are billionaires who want to make more money. So, yeah, you can't sympathize with them there. But if you think about football as a sport and then compare it to NFL, basketball, they're obviously in the American market. So they have a natural advantage when it comes to making money. And they have been established in America for a long time. So Americans are very into it. So football can't just immediately do that. But still, there is a very big argument that football should be making a lot more money than it does right now. And I know that football fans, again, they don't really care about money. They just want to see their clubs. They want to enjoy and feel, you know, what it means to be a football fan. But I do think that if you are a chief executive at a club or if you're even a chief financial officer, anybody who works at a football club, it's your right to try and make sure that club is doing better and better. So I think there was an argument for, I've gone off on a tangent here, but I think there, there is, and it still exists now, there is an argument that football can be making a lot more money. It can have a much bigger presence in the world. And I fully expect that these clubs will come back with a Super League 2.0 to try and make that argument again. Now, when Super League 1.0 failed, I think, yeah, like Alan was saying, FSG, they've looked at, I don't, I don't think they could ever be the front of a Super League 2.0 pitch. I don't think they could ever bring that back to the club. So they have come to a natural end of their cycle where they've done everything that they can do. They've helped the club. And now John Henry, I think he's positioned the club perfectly for an exit. And it's a situation as well, though, where he could easily just take a new shareholder involved and still maintain majority shareholding. So in business, uh, kind of in a nod to the business uh, perspective of it, it's just a blinding. It's just a blinder of a situation. He could either get a massive chunk invested into the club, which helps the club with its transfer target ambitions, which helps, um, you know, gives gives the shareholders who have been there for a long time with FSG some money back. You know, um, they they get to recoup a bit of their investment, or he can cash out for like at minimum a ten x on his initial investment, make the shareholders happy. So either way, John Henry is winning in this situation or FSG are winning. But the thing that makes me just even more impressed with it is um, the way that the club has really come together in the last, you know, seven years since Klopp. Um, like the club is, and th- this is what they signaled with the whole um, uh, Mike Gordon taking a step back and Billy Hogan taking more responsibilities. They, they're signaling that FSG don't need to, to take care of this club anymore. We don't need to be hands-on. The club is well enough to stand on its own two feet. We've, we've got a good CEO in there. So if you are an outside investor, you want to buy the club, you don't have to worry about coming in, hiring all of these people to come and run the club for you. It's good. The club is solid. We can do that. All right. You've got the CEO in there. You, 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 you'll probably bring in your own people eventually, but you don't need to. It's not an imperative. The club is in a good position. And then number two, the timing of all of this is, is so perfect. Because like Alan was saying, going into the World Cup is going to be in Qatar. So you're going to have all of these rich types, all from all different types of money. All of them going to be flying in in their VIP boxes with their private jets, going to be schmoozing, going to be cocktails, wine and dine situations. And what you said is our club is up for sale. So come and wine and dine us. All of you billionaires who are going to be floating around the Middle East during that time, we're only going to be in Dubai. We're just going to be a quick hop skip just over in Dubai. So if you want to meet our CEO, we're right there. It's basically like the massive, it's such a, such a big peacocking event from um, FSG and the ownership. They're basically just saying like, if you want us, we're going to be there, book a meeting, wow us. And I think just the final point on this is because of the position that they've got this club in the last 10, 12 years, um, I think there's an article that came out last night uh, in the Mail on Sunday by Nick Harris and Alex Miller, who are two very highly respected journalists. They would not put their names to this article if they uh, were not like 
talking from very established sources. One of them, I think Alex Miller has got two sources within the city of London who are basically saying that FSG were approached by a US group a couple of weeks ago. Um, they've been having talks in the background in secret. And then they were prompted to release that statement when they were asked by somebody who got wind of this only, I think that was like last week. So, um, and essentially FSG are trying to, they've, they've been enthused by the Chelsea sale. Chelsea were sold for five times their revenue, which is about 500 million. Liverpool are about to publish new revenues in the next coming days, which has show that our revenues are around 700 million. So they've landed on a figure of about 3 billion pounds, but they don't expect it to be hit if it's not like a big bidding war. So they, they, they'll accept a 2.7 billion pounds, which works out to about $3 billion, which is still, I think, about 10x for them. But if there are other bidders involved, they expect it to create a bidding war, which could see the valuation be pushed up to about $3.5 billion, which works out to about, I don't know how much in pounds. But basically, it's just a really tight, smooth operation where FSG are always going to be the winners. And also, Liverpool Football Club, they are going to be the winners in this situation. Just for a bit of context again, 10 years ago, when we were selling the club, we had a lot of dodgy cowboys trying to get involved. So DIC is one name. I think there's a Kenny Huang. I don't know who he is or where he's from, but lots of dodgy people who are very getting very close to what Nick Harry said on, on a Twitter thread last night, preferred bidder status. But he says, because of the work that FSG have done in the last 10 years, um, that kind of situation will not happen this time around. If we're going to get anybody come close to preferred bidder status, it's going to be somebody who is legit, has the money there to back it, and it's not going to be somebody who the fans are not going to like. So that speaks to like the morality of it. Um, so I think we are very much going to get a good owner regardless, or we're going to get somebody invest hugely, which is going to help us with our transfer budget. So I'm completely fine with whoever it is, really. Um, I think criteria for me, sorry, this is rambly, but I think my three, my three criteria is I don't want an individual. I wouldn't want somebody like, for example, Elon Musk to come in and just oh basically... God, the Musk rat. Yeah. And just be like one guy sat at the top of the club just making tons of decisions and just like he can just flip on a whim tomorrow because he wants whatever. That type of investor I don't really want because I feel like the club has got into a very good and stable position and we don't need to, to break the wheel, you know. We need continuation of what we've already got with added funds so that we can compete with the PSGs and the Man Cities when it comes to the targets that we want. So I want somebody or a, I want a group ideally who are professional and they work in tandem to continue the kind of DNA that we already have as a club. Um, and yeah, I, I hope they have a lot of money too. Uh, and that's that's all I can wish for really. Um, Non-individual, mm -hmm. yeah, and um, professional. Well, that's very really interesting. Absolutely, absolutely, really fascinating stuff. We're, we're going to we have to wrap it up, but we're going to get into this more and more, you know, during the international break. Uh, you know, the next game is after Christmas, but blimey, we're going to definitely be back, uh, you know, have, have a few in-depth discussions about it. I want to really thank you, uh, Alan and Abdul, for being with us. And thanks a million to every single listener we have, because whoever you are, wherever you are, you are somebody, and we love you. Uh, and um, very well put, Avril. Yeah, Avril. I'm sorry, Abdul. Uh, Avril, Avril Levine is not our guest today, uh, but uh, no, okay, but uh, uh, but uh, no, absolutely. Uh, it's it was very very well put, and I just don't want I don't want a state that executes people. Uh, that doesn't sound like a, you know what I mean, like. A, like Saudi Arabia, there were 81 people executed by the state in March, and uh, not enough people even know that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I don't want any, anything like that. Where I don't know where it's just ugh, disgusting. Like you know. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, thank you very much. Have a marvelous day, week, night, month. Uh, and uh, yeah, speak to you soon. Thank you very much. You'll never walk alone. <laughs>